And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is the Reverend Mark Diedrich. And Mark, it's an honor to have you on with us today. It's good to be on on Skype with you today. Normally we're live, but that's, <laughs> that's right. This is fine too. Yeah. Um, really socially distancing today. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I know. It's so hard with this social distancing thing on many fronts. One is you don't know if you really need to do it. You know, if the person yeah. isn't hasn't been exposed to COVID, uh, why social distance when both of you are perfectly clean, as it were? It right. makes us sound like we're Old Testament here. Um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, today um, is the weekend prior to Thanksgiving. It's a wonderful time in American life. And uh, it grieves me, Mark, the fact that some of the leaders in our country, you know, are so draconian in their measures, uh, saying, you know, you can only have just a few uh, around the table at Thanksgiving. And, well, for crying out loud, it's our own family. And and some families have eight children, you know. So what are you going to do when you want grandma and grandpa to join and the eight kids are there and the two adults are there? I don't know. The numbers don't work, and uh, it's it's uh, concerning. But but all that aside, in terms of American Thanksgiving, we look back to a certain time in American history, and that's where you come in because you've studied some of this stuff and you're familiar with not only the pilgrims but also the indians you've you've spent a great deal of time studying the the american indians and you're kind of like our resident expert here in the network on indians uh maybe people don't realize that so maybe you could get us started um when we talk american thanksgiving and back to those early days what what comes to your mind mark well dan one of the things that you said about all this concern about getting together and gathering for Thanksgiving because of the COVID. When we look at the COVID uh, problem or the Wuhan virus, however you want to call it, if you get it, you have 98% chance of recovery. Mm. Now, the pilgrims, when they came over, by the time they celebrated their first Thanksgiving, Half of them, more than half of them, had died. It's striking. It's And so you see, they were living in times much more precarious, much more prone to disease um, than we are. Mm. And, and, and yet they come together and they have this great Thanksgiving. So they're coming across on the Mayflower. They do the Mayflower Compact, which is a, a great thing and we won't get into that but they they come across and in God's providence they meet a uh, an Indian uh, by the name of Squanto and they land in a place where Squanto's tribe used to used to be that's where they resided hmm. but that whole tribe died uh, people believe it was smallpox, some disease, probably brought over by Europe in the, the Europeans. Mm. In the interim, Squanto wasn't there, so he didn't die in that plague. 
he had been taken captive. He had been made a slave. Oh, that's right. He had been taken over to Europe, to England. And uh, being there, actually he was taken a slave twice, but it, it was, you know, we won't get into the details, but he comes back, and so he has a great ability to speak English. <laughs> it's amazing. Then, of course, he uh, introduces them to the, the Indians there, uh, Wampanoag, and the chief there, Massasoit. And the uh, pilgrims, when they first got there, found this big cache of corn. They were needed it badly, and they ate it. And then, of course, they wanted to pay for it, and they did. And, and so we have this combination where the pilgrims had a good working relationship initially with the Indians there. Now, it's hmm. not all the tribes. The Narragansett tribes, not so much. But that was the way anyhow in this region. A lot of the tribes, various different uh, Indian tribes, were hostile to one another. Oh, yes. And so if you're going to side with one, you better expect to get the ire of the other. But at any rate, they get there, they settle, and they they recognize God's goodness to them. And so they have a good uh, summer of planting. They get things done. Squantos showed them how to plant the Indian corn that they have there and has helped them out a great deal. And even though half of them had died, they felt it appropriate to thank God. And, of course, they invited the Indians. Hmm. And so that's what we often call the first Thanksgiving. And what happens, especially in the fall of the year, is a lot of the birds, the fowl are there. They had turkeys, lots of turkeys. If you read William Bradford's account, there are many turkeys there. Then they had other fowl coming through, ducks and uh, um, no doubt passenger pigeons, a lot of birds. And so they could kill them. And, of course, uh, the Indians also brought deer, venison, Mm. which reminds us that, uh, you know, at the time that this is being broadcast, just yesterday, the day or just the day that that is being broadcast is the opening day of deer season. Yeah, what, what, day is, what day is that in New York State that it opens? It's It, it always opens the Saturday before Yeah, so it is, it is today. Okay, gotcha. And so if you want to have a, a Thanksgiving feast that's similar to the pilgrims, go out and shoot a deer and and make the venison part of your Thanksgiving And, and get a turkey, too, while you're at it. And get a tur- Well, the turkey season is now closed, sorry. <laughs> I forgot yeah, about that. Yeah, <laughs> you, you had your opportunity earlier. If you didn't get it, then, you know. Well, um, I want to say something about hunting. Um, some people feel like, well, I can't talk about that over the air, but we can. Um, killing of animals, um, God killed the first animal um, mm-hmm. to create clothing for Adam and Eve, and it was after the fall. And so killing an animal to use it for food or for clothing is, is not an evil act. Some people think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a difference between that and then going out just to shoot at animals and kill them. To me, that's yeah. like worlds apart. It's totally different. Yeah. And uh, I've taken deer before, and we learned how to butcher so that uh, if times got 
rough. You know, when we were uh, raising our children, uh, we homeschooled. And one of the things we learned how to do was butcher our own deer. And yep. we used the meat. And uh, you learn to identify what's the good meat and what's the other meat that uh, is not so good. And you really need to grind it up and make some sausage out of it. Yep. And we learned that um, you really got to mix some fat in with it to make it taste good. Otherwise, because deer meat or, or venison uh, is very low on fat, and many people right. have a fat-restricted diet, so one of the best things they could eat in terms of meat is probably venison. Um, and That's absolutely right. It's venison interesting. very lean meat. It's, it's organic. It is um, one, of the, one of the better meats you can eat yeah. because of it having that low-fat contact. Because of it being organic, you know there's not going to be antibiotics in it. That's right. You know, and and so, um, and no GMOs. There you go. <laughs> well, anyway, it's kind of interesting as I think about uh, the pilgrims certainly had no problem with harvesting uh, God-given meat in order to keep themselves alive. And uh, yeah. we should not feel guilty about uh, harvesting they- either. Right. They, the gun that they used uh, was a matchlock, these old matchlock muzzle-loading guns. <laughs> and so they could fill that with shot if they wanted to or use a, a round ball um, to hunt with. And so that's what they had. Now, it seems like coming over, they would have brought all this with them. But once they get established, um, they're going to have to develop ways of uh, continuing to create gunpowder and the balls yeah. and the shot and that sort of thing. Yeah. That's I you know they probably came with a good amount of lead. Uh typically they would have a mold lead melts at a very low temperature relatively mm-hmm. speaking to any other metal. And so yeah, I have muzzle loaders too and I have I have molded my own round balls and, and done that. I have not made my own black powder, but I have seen yeah. recipes for it. Yeah. And and it does not look all that difficult. I would imagine they would, as, as soon as you find the elements that you need to, to, to make that, they would have been able to make it. Now, it may not have been the best gunpowder, but uh, uh, they would have been able to make it. You sometimes grade your gunpowder as to how fine the grain is now what and, about what about the indians um today we're talking with the reverend mark diedrich and he's kind of a resonant expert i consider anyway on on indians um what kind of arms did the indians have the indians used bows and arrows and spears the arrow has it's interesting uh, i had an interesting talk with an individual who actually grew up at Minnewaska, uh, he's one of the Smileys, Al Smiley. Oh, yeah. And he said, he said, it's really interesting because what they have discovered around here is, is flint arrowheads. Now, if you know anything about flint, flint can make an edge that is every bit as sharp as steel. That's true. So a flint arrowhead uh, will be very effective. What is interesting is we don't have flint around here. <laughs> oh. You have to go south to find flint. So he said it really is indicative that the Indians 
used to trade with one another. Gotcha. Before the settlers came here. Now they would if they didn't have the flint from from, you know, down south, they would use chert. And that would also make a good arrowhead. How do you spell that word that you're using there? Oh, (laughs) you're asking me to spell. Well, how do you pronounce it anyway? Chert. uh, C-H-E-R-T. That's a phonetic spelling, whether it's correct or or not. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so they would use that. And uh, understand there's a difference in the way a gun operates when you're shooting a deer. For example, the... the, um, Matchlocks uh, that the first settlers would use. Very large caliber ball. They weren't always consistent, but sometimes around 70 caliber. Wow. You know. um, And when that ball would hit a deer, it would cause a lot of shock. You can imagine something Mm -hmm. like that. Penetrating, causing shock. A very sharp arrowhead does not cause shock Mm -hmm. like that. What it does is it cuts. Right. And it cuts the blood vessels, and uh, it causes the deer to bleed out. And, of course, if, if if you happen to hit the heart, it'll stop the heart. If it hits the lungs, the, mm. blood, the lungs will just fill up with blood. I can, I and can, the deer will die rather quickly. I can think there's probably some listeners that said, now, that's enough. I can't take any more of this. <laughs> so, in, in deference yeah. to them, let's move on. I'd love to talk about this some more, but I don't want to be overly uh, focused on this. Um, The theology, the theology of the pilgrims, what did these people believe? Uh, They they believed in uh, Jesus Christ. They believed in, they would be what we would call Calvinists. It's interesting, the early settlement in New England was really divided between two Puritan groups. And what happened, okay, take it back a little bit to the Reformation in England. Um, The Reformation in England really kind of started with Henry VIII, who was called by the Catholic Church the Defender of the Faith. I think Pope Leo X called him that, the Defender of the Faith, Hmm. because he attacked Lutheranism. Well, that was before he needed to marry Anne Boleyn and divorce Catherine of Aragon. Hmm. (laughs) The Catholic Church wouldn't grant him that, so he decided that he would do it anyhow and basically said he was the head of the church. (laughs) Well, that left some openings. And what happened with that when he kind of overthrew, if you will, the Catholic Church, although he still considered himself Catholic and his theology is probably very close to the Roman Catholic Church. One of the things that he did very shortly thereafter was he decreed that the Bible should in should be in every church in English. That's great, actually. Yeah. And, of course, William Tyndall had been translating the Bible. His The basis of, of Tyndall's works was used in the translation that was used, it was actually Miles Culverdale who did a lot of it and uh, um, did the translation. But Culverdale borrowed so much from Tyndall, it was essentially Tyndall's New Testament mm-hmm. that was put there. And so you had a, a, the Bible uh, being read by the laity, and, and soon you had the Bible 
getting into the hands of all the laity. Now, what happens is that, of course, Henry VIII dies, his son Edward takes over, he's sickly, he dies. He's very Protestant. By the way, he made everything Protestant. And and he dies after just, I, I think, only three years. I think he was only mm-hmm. reigning like three years. And his two or three years, and his sister, Mary, takes over. We call her Bloody Mary because she started persecuting. She was going to return England to the Catholic realm, and she started persecuting all the Protestants. That doesn't sound very Christian, does it? No. (laughs) She she was killing them left. So a lot of them left, and, and a group of them left and went to Calvin's Geneva. And one of them was named William Whittingham. William Whittingham spearheaded the translation into English of what is called the Geneva Bible. Mm. He finished it in 1560, but it was the Bible that the Puritans used. And when they came in 1620, that was the Bible that they had. They wouldn't have that liberal King James Bible that was translated in 1611. So, at any rate, these people are studying the Bible. Well, Mary dies, Queen Elizabeth takes over, and she has to, she works a middle way. It it really is Protestant. It's the Anglican Church. But she wants a uniform worship. It's kind of a, what we call a Reformed theology with a, a more hierarchical or Catholic polity the way the church is organized. And the Puritans said, no, that's wrong. We didn't like that. Mm. So there were two groups of Puritans. One that said, okay, you're never going to get it right. Um, We need to separate from you completely. Hmm. The other group of Puritans said, no, we don't need to separate from you. You've got a lot of things right. We just need to reform the things you haven't completely gotten all the way done. Mm -hmm. And and so the first group and the first wave of the pilgrims that came over, some people call them pilgrims and the other one's Puritans, but they both were Puritans. They were just different kinds. Of course, they fought amongst themselves too, but (laughs) that's a different thing. Not, you know, I mean, theologically and everything. But the, the first wave that came were the separating Puritans. And now, now that's the wave that, that we think of many times on Thanksgiving. That's right. And and they were the ones that came over, and they wanted to to have the freedom to worship God as, as they wished. In England, they did not. Hmm. Mary wanted uniformity with the church, and so they were persecuted. You know, you look at a guy like John Bunyan. John Bunyan was thrown in jail, you know, uh, a number of times. That's right. And so they came over and they wanted to be able to worship freely. Now, before they did that, they went to Holland. And they did have freedom of, of religion there. But they they didn't like the culture. And they were stuck in a situation where their labor was so intensive there that they didn't have time to train their children and worship God as they wished. Okay. You know, and study as they wished. So they wanted to, to come over here. Now, not all of the people who came were these Puritans. Some were not Puritans. And, uh, but at any rate, the Puritans uh, 
were the dominant group, and they were the ones that really influenced England and really influenced the founding of this country. Not the slave merchants that showed up in 1619 in Jamestown. They were not the primary uh, ones who set the tone for this nation. It was the Puritans that came. And, and shortly thereafter, the non-separating Puritans came over as well. Okay, those are the reformers who wanted right. to go maybe a little bit slower and help yep. see change where change right. was needed? change within. They still held hope uh, for That's the right. Anglican Church. Yeah. Now, um, today we're talking about Thanksgiving and the early pilgrims, and our guest is the Reverend Mark Diedrich. Uh, he's well-studied in this, and particularly in the Indians. And can we circle back now a little bit uh-huh. and talk about this this chap, this squanto, and um, tell us a little bit more about him that we haven't covered yet? Yeah, he was, like I say, he was a, a great asset to them, and he was kind of the go-between. So the pilgrims really protected him. Sometimes he ran afoul of Massasoit a little bit, you know, and the pilgrims would defend him. Uh, he was he he helped them out a great deal. He helped them to be able to communicate, and I, I mean that was key. Um, you always have this thing with the language barrier, and of course the pilgrims when they first came were just trying to survive. Understand, they're just trying to survive. And uh, in terms of their evangelism towards these other Indians, they tried to, I'm sure they tried to reach out as they could, but they couldn't do it very well. But it wasn't very long before they did, because in 1646, a young man came by the name of John Eliot. John Eliot was a young man who was ordained. He was ordained and was a pastor, and he had his flock, and he got his flock together, but he did something else. He got immersed into the Indian culture and the Indian language, and he studied it. And so by 1663, he actually translated the Bible into the Indian language and had it printed. Oh, that's wonderful. The first printed Bible in the United States was John Eliot's Indian translation. Oh, that's so neat. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's interesting. Some of the things in it, he has one word that he uses in it. It has 34 letters long. Oh, my. <laughs> I don't know how you pronounce it. Wow. <laughs> now, I, uh, I'm looking at the clock, and I realize this has gone by quickly. We've got about two minutes left. Oh, wow. Uh, summary. Thanksgiving, here we are in America. Sometimes we're not too thankful. Any advice from a pastor today? I I would say the first thing you do is you look at who God is. We thank God because of who he is. He is the great creator. And then we thank God for his redemption of us, that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross and rise three days later that we could have eternal life. We need to understand Our life is eternal. Mm. It's not just temporal. And we can be going through a lot of trials and tribulations, and we do often. Yes. But but our life is eternal, and we have a good, the greatest prospects 
because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Amen. And that's the early pilgrims, a lot of these, because of their, their gratefulness and their love of God, they, they desired to reach out to these Indians, and they did. Many of them did, and, and brought many of these Indians that they found here, they brought many of them to faith in Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful story. I want to thank you very much, Pastor Mark Diedrich, for taking your time today and spending with our listeners. Dear listener, you may have a question for Pastor Mark. We invite you to use our email address. Feel free to send that question on. We'll get it to Mark. Our email address here at the station is ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. And Mark, I hope that you have a pleasant Thanksgiving, you and your wife Karen, and whoever family members may be joining you this year. And thank you very much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Dan, and the same to you and Deb. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer 